Hello and uh, welcome to the Fizzle Show, hey? This is, of course, the Fizzle Show. Every Friday, we publish another conversation about entrepreneurship, building a thriving audience, and the battle of supporting yourself doing something that you care about. We run Fizzle.co, where new and used entrepreneurs learn how to create and develop and grow a personal business in the modern age. Membership costs about a dollar a day, but as a listener, you can try your first five weeks for free on us when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. Okay, in this episode, help, I make a good product, but I hate pushy marketing. We received a note recently from a fizzler who was considering basically giving up. She felt like she had realized that active marketing was required in order to succeed, and she wasn't really willing to do that. In a moment, you'll hear why I loved her notes so much. So on the show today, we talk about how active you really need to be in marketing your product, service, content, or website, or I don't know, fill in the blank here. We also talk about how to get into a new mindset about marketing so you don't build a wall between you and your customers. Your product might be good, your podcast or blog or service may be literally the best available, but people may not know why it's good. So let's learn about the difference between pushy marketing and persuasive storytelling and give people a truly compelling reason to buy. Follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 156. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. Oh, uh, hey, we had a malfunction with Corbett's microphone. I bring in his audio from another mic in the room, but it doesn't have the quality you'd typically expect from this show. I really apologize and would cut it out completely if he didn't say such brilliant things. So please bear with us in this episode and enjoy. Uh, hey guys, how you doing? Doing pretty great. Not as good as you are, I bet. Yeah, we're in Mexico still. Got a, got another few days of my trip here. There's a lot of tequila in my blood right now. And I can still walk fine, though. That is dangerous. <laughs> That's true. No chaperone either. No Steph to chaperone. No Barry to chaperone. So, some would say Woo! I'm the worm in the bottle at this point. And I say the world is my bottle. You know what I mean? Mm, no, I don't. <laughs> hey, guys. Right. Hey, guys. What? Guess what the weather's like in Portland? Oh, 75 and sunny? Oh, it's 62 and sunny, and I'll take it. Ugh. I'll take it. <laughs> We saw some weather report that it was going to be pretty warm up there. But that's enough about the weather. (laughs) It's Corbett's favorite topic. Uh, It is his favorite topic. He's like, oh, yeah? What's going on up there? Uh, Just give the man what he wants. Corbett and I might be drinking a cocktail, so this could get saucy. So uh, we should probably just get into our topic for today, shouldn't we? Yeah, please. Shouldn't we? We've got a big, important topic today. Steph, go ahead and take take us on home, Steph. All right, let's do it. So uh, today's topic is a little bit different in that it is actually not exactly from the Fizzle forums. It's uh, from someone who tried Fizzle and canceled, as some people do. I can't imagine why they would, but every once in a while that happens. (laughs) And when they do, we ask them why. And um, sometimes people are nice enough and gracious enough to give us uh, helpful feedback to help us make what we do better. So we got this feedback from someone who I will... uh, just I will sort of hide their identity and we'll refer to this person as HG. And so here is what HG had to say about uh, I'll, I'll say her, her experience with with Vizzle. So she says, many thanks for the free two weeks. So she 
uh, took part in our free two week trial. I'm a person that likes to create things. I just want to make my site and my products and not reach out or communicate as a marketer, except minimally. So she says she wouldn't mind pinning to Pinterest and Instagram, et cetera, but really no interest in being a marketer, doesn't see herself as a marketing expert by any means. I can tell from your site that active marketing is how people get success and I'm just not willing. So you have kind of made me question the point of what I'm doing. I felt depressed actually, but it's good because facing reality. Oddly, I got into this because of interest and wanted to build a site from a seasoned working craftsperson's perspective instead of moms with marketing degrees who knitted something and sold it on Etsy. I see now why that marketing degree was the crucial factor. I'm a strong advocate for make compelling work and they will buy. However, she sort of um, points out that maybe this concept of make compelling work and they will buy hasn't really totally been working for her so far. I think my strategy is going to be developing up until the point where I can just justify paying for help with the marketing. It's my goal that I'll want to join your community again. Thank you for this reality check. Your service and business is wonderful and I cannot thank you enough. So really interesting one we have from HG. I think um, maybe our first task is to, there's a question in here. She's not asking us a question because again, this was an an exit interview, but it sort of feels like we, we felt as a group that there was a question in here about creating marketing and sort of this like tension between them and what it really takes to be successful in business when it comes to marketing. You know, for me, I think part of the question is, do I have to be a marketer to have a business or do I have to have marketing chops in order to have a business? Can't I just make a thing and have it be good enough? Mm, yeah. so that's kind of where we stand with uh, with HG's perspective. Yeah, I think when I, when I first saw this come in, I was very... Uh I was just kind of struck by it because it felt really like it felt really humane. It felt like a really honest point of view to have. It felt like some a place that I haven't been in my mind for a long time because I've been taking it for granted the fact that like everybody knows you do all of the act what she calls active marketing stuff, right? And what, a couple that that's the first bit that stuck out to me about this is this concept of active marketing. Second of all, her stance that she's not willing to do that, which I bet if we went deeper with her on that, it would be more like I'm uncomfortable with it for some reason, or I'm not exactly sure how to start or, or what that looks like. I've never seen somebody do it that great. And I, I think I could teach her, show her a lot of examples of people who do do it in a way that she thinks is great. I guess I'm sort of stuck though, trying to understand what it is. What is active marketing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Let's start. Let's start there. I don't know that we have a lot of um, detail in terms of what she's talking about here mm-hmm. uh, from her question. Yeah. Maybe we can think about our own curriculum and what we teach and is there something that we feel like would qualify as active marketing versus just clicking you know, on Pinterest or, or Instagram or whatever. Yeah, Barrett, what, what do you think on that one? I don't know, I'm kinda, I don't have a, a solid answer on it, but I, you know, when I hear her say active marketing, like I picture that meaning proactively reaching out to other people to build partnerships, um, trying to promote content directly to individuals, you know, not just like writing blog posts, but then emailing 25 people about each blog post. I picture it being, you know, seeking out ways to, if you're a craftsperson, get your products featured in magazines, the way that Andrea Ayers talks about in her founder story inside of Fizzle. Um, 
I picture, you know, reaching out to podcasters and asking them if I can be a, a guest on their podcast based on whatever the work is that I'm doing. So I guess it would be, it's, it's like outreach. It's sales to me is what I hear when I hear active marketing. Um, but I might be assuming too much, you know, that might be coming from my perspective and she might mean, uh, blogging, podcasting, video making, you know, just like the the things that we take for granted sometimes, which I think is interesting because to me, the power of content, whether it's, you know, blog posts or essays or whatever you want to call it, or video or podcasting, is that it's as close as you can get to the intersection of art and marketing, of, you know, craft and commerce, of both sides of the equation, because you are making things that inform people, that help people. But there can also be an artistic kind of flair to it. Um, and there are plenty of examples of that around the web. So I'm, I would be curious to hear from her what her position is on active marketing. But to me, it's like that proactive outreach, the kind of pounding the pavement to make more dollars type marketing. I like the way that you put that, Barrett. I think you might be right in that. And that what she might be actually thinking about is just the idea of content in general. Um, you know, today, what, what, why are we, why are we talking about this? Why are you listening to the fizzle show? Because now you can use the internet as a superpower to reach literally hundreds of thousands and millions of people. That's why we're talking. All right. That's why we're talking about starting our own business. That's why we're talking about doing an independent business. That's why we're talking about not going to the bank and taking out a loan, but instead growing something that, that can grow organically and then, and then replace your, your income from your day job over time. Like that's why we're talking about this is because of the internet. When the internet runs like TV, like radio, like Hollywood on content, right? Blog posts, videos, podcasts, things like this. That's what a lot of, that's where our expertise lies. Corbett started uh, blogging a long time ago and created a very successful blog. I was always the designer who helped bloggers as I was blogging myself as well. And we've just have like this long history in this world of content marketing. So when we say content, really what we're talking about is, yeah, consumable stuff that's findable on the internet that, that does any number of things from on one side of the spectrum is pure entertainment to another side of the spectrum, which is just like pure utilitarianism, like just like just straight up useful. Like, like here's three, my iPhone doesn't work here. Do the press and hold it and restart it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just purely useful. Right. Um, like instruction manuals. Exactly. Exactly. So when I think of HG's question and this idea of, of active marketing, I am unwilling to do it. I think it brings up this really big question that I think is so important for everyone thinking through doing their own business to, to think about because you take it for granted when you're listening to all of the talking heads like us out there about starting your own business, which this is a, this is a new freaking industry now. The industry of independent start your your thing. There's like a million of us out there, you know, and we're we're one of them. You're welcome, and I'm sorry all at the same time. <laughs> the question that that you've got to be thinking about is is this kind of thing for you? Right. I think it's a, because it's a, it takes a lot of work to actually, and, and it's a very different thing. There's starting a business, there's earning money. Okay. Those are two very different things than starting a blog or running a podcast. But a lot of times in our world, they're, they're made synonymous. They're made to be the same thing. Oh, you want to make money on the internet? So let's start your blog. You know what I mean? Without even thinking about like, wait, what kind of business, what kind of service do you want to produce? You know, 
Barrett's in the middle of writing an awesome new course for us that we're not wearing his keep secret still so he can keep his energy to himself on that. Um, but it's going to help to, to, to sort of show these different kinds of businesses you can start and the kinds of, of ways that you can take a single idea and slice it and dice it several different ways, even though it's the same idea based on what kind of business, what kind of lifestyle, what kind of stuff you want to, you want to do, which is what I like so much in this question is that it's a real, it's a real honest question about, about what basically what it points to, to me, it points out this blind spot in most of the educational training right now, which is just basically goes like, okay, you want to be an entrepreneur? What blogging platform are you going to use? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It just goes straight to like content because this is, because don't get me wrong, it's like you can be an absolutely nobody and you can you can work from nothing to become something using content on the internet right you can do the same thing at, you know in your local town doing a brick and mortar thing but there is a lot of cost and risk involved in comparison to starting up a blog and doing some stuff like that right so i like that part of of this question that it gets me personally back to kind of square one around about like, geez, yeah. Like, I think, I think what, what might be in question is this idea of, of you know, this con- question of content and marketing in, in general. Because like Barrett said, there's also this other kind of marketing where you're just like, hey, I make these bracelets like our recent um, Just Lively uh, founder story gets into. An hour plus interview with Just Lively talking about how she got started. And if you don't know her, she has an awesome podcast, very successful entrepreneur that then like pivoted and went in a very different direction. Um, but she had a jewelry business at first and like she didn't like write blog posts to sell that jewelry. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a very different kind of marketing, but had the same sort of, had the same sort of uh, results in the end. I, that is, you know, products sold. So, so that's what I love so much about this question. I think it opens up a lot of conversation about what is active marketing? How necessary uh, is, is this for us to do, for every entrepreneur to do? What are the options here, et cetera? And I think um, we're leaping maybe a little bit to assume that she's talking about content. Yeah. We could be talking about all kinds of things. Totally. I think the, the general idea here is she feels like she just wants to make her thing and I'm assuming it's some sort of, she's a maker of something. Yeah. Maybe it's jewelry or, or something mm-hmm. that, you know, some sort of physical product or something. I kind of get that sense here. So she wants to make her thing and make it good enough that it sells itself. Yeah. And I think that's the dream for a lot of creative people. Yeah. A lot of folks believe in the goodness of the world such that you can make something that's good enough that other people will find it yeah. based on its virtue mm-hmm. and then it will do well in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are examples of things that catch on really quickly and, and they don't have to be marketed much. One example recently is the um, the hoverboard craze that happened yeah. like, over Christmas. Yeah. These stupid little things that weren't even hoverboard <laughs> for some reason got massively <laughs> totally. popular. And I doubt that the companies did a whole lot to advertise them. It, yeah. it caught on because of the whole Back to the Future thing and everybody yep. has a uh, you know, childhood memory of that. And so it caught on and it, and it took off. So there are examples where that can happen. But the, the harsh reality is in most cases, if you're just making something that a lot of other people are making. So in the case of a hoverboard, there were only two manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when those came out, it, it was easy for that story to blow up because it was a new thing. Yeah. But if you're making something that a lot of other people make, like jewelry, yeah. then the harsh reality is it's very hard to differentiate between one piece of jewelry and another or one piece of art and another. Mm. So the story, the provenance of that thing that you're making is really important. 
this is like a, something that we've talked about before where some people went on eBay and bought a bunch of like trinkets mm. for next to nothing. Yeah. And then for each of those trinkets, they decided to create this background story, just made up yeah. background story. Yeah. And then they could sell it for 10 times more just mm. because they, they told the story of why this thing existed or whatever. So if you're creating jewelry or something, part of marketing isn't the pushy, sleazy feeling of going out and, and blanketing, you know, a lot of people with, you should buy my thing, yeah. but instead just having the conviction of this is why my thing is unique and important mm. and here's why and yeah. explaining that. So that, 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 that background story. And so, um, I'm not trying to convince HG necessarily in this case, because I think we all identify with this. We all identify with this idea that we don't want to do the pushy kind of active marketing. In fact, I see us as a team when we, when we have team meetings and we're talking about how are we going to, you know, um, find more members for fizzle. It's an uncomfortable thing. It's always like, Oh God, that's the crappy part of the work. Yeah. We'd all just rather make a course or something. Mm -hmm. so we all feel that. But again, the harsh reality is, um, because pretty much anything you're going to create already exists out there. You have to somehow make people aware of it and make people understand why it matters more than other things that are already out. There. Yeah. Yeah. Steph, what are you hearing over there? Well, I was just going to give a little overview real quick, just so like we have some concreteness to the conversation. It. So it's potter pottery and jewelry is, is the art being made here. And the site is kind of like tutorials around helping other people do the same. And so, you know, when she says in the exit interview, uh, you know, there's the, the stay at home marketing mom who knitted one thing and now is teaching a million people to knit that thing. That's where the annoyance comes from is because for HG, she's been in as, as she feels like in the game for a while and she's a more deserving teacher because of that. And yet she's got this barrier of marketing to reach the people to even get them to trust her enough, you know, to pay attention basically. Mm. Yeah. I was just making a couple of notes. I'm just kind of mulling this over and I, I have an example in my head too. So I don't know what, what stands out for me about this whole thing is like this belief that, you know, I'm not a marketer. That's like what I hear yeah. from this is yeah. I am a craftsperson. I'm not a marketer. I don't want to be a marketer. Therefore, this whole business thing, it just isn't for me because if I have to be a marketer, then I don't, I'm no longer interested in this. It like kills the joy out of it for me, which is really sad, mm. honestly. But, um, I have an example of someone in my head in the fizzle community who we've talked about on the team. We've interact. I've interacted a lot with this person in the forum, but there's a fizzler by the name of Evan who creates these dog beds. And we can put a link to this in the show notes. These are really cool dog beds. They're these like wooden, dog beds that allow you to use a human pillow in the dog bed. And so this comes to mind for me because Evan is a maker and um, I could see Evan. It's like kind of like the tale of two stories. I could see Evan being in a similar boat thinking to herself, you know, I just want to make these dog beds. Like I just want people to want these beds. They're, they're very attractive. There's a lot of cool qualities about them. But instead when I, I've really been watching, paying attention to Evan because I just think it's a cool concept, but I also like the way she's approaching her business. She's very active in the fizzle forums. She's been asking people what they think of the different value propositions of this dog bed. And what's interesting is on the surface, yes, it's a cute looking dog bed. It's kind of kitschy that you can use your own human pillow, but there's like this whole story underneath the surface of why Evan built this product in the first place. My favorite of all of them personally is be being a dog owner or a dog mom myself is if you, um, 
you know, sleep with a, a, a pillow, like a human pillow, it gets the scent of your pack on the pillow. And then the dog is more comforted sleeping in this bed because it smells like you. And it's like this comforting experience for a dog. And when I first saw this dog bed, I was like, wow. I mean, I never, I never would have looked at that and thought there was like this whole emotional side of this story that's coming from this dog bed. But what I love about Evan's story is she's kind of found like the emotional appeal or the um, I don't know how to get into the head of a dog owner. A lot of times dog parents, they just want their dogs to feel comfortable and, and like they belong in the family. So I guess what I'm getting at is there's kind of like this curiosity that someone like Evan, who's a dog, you know, dog bed builder, she's kind of taking this curiosity in her business and tried to figure out like what makes these people tick? Why would they buy this product? What's missing in the current market? And she's like got this playfulness about it instead of it having to be this drudgery of like, how am I going to shill these dog beds? There's just such a big difference in the curiosity of getting into the head of the people who are buying this product versus feeling like, okay, I got to sell a bunch of these things. Can I just sit around and make them? I, w- I wish I could just make them and post them on my website. Yeah. So there's kind of like an interesting trade-off here. And I think it can be, it can be, it can be done in a way that's so authentic and even fun if you can kind of make it about, um, I don't know, improving the market versus how am I going to unload a bunch of these so I can make enough money to hit my minimum viable income. Wait, say more about that, Steph. What do you mean about the, the improving the market thing? So, you know, I think it's like, it's interesting because if you are creating whatever it is, your pottery, jewelry, dog bed, just taking this from a, a maker's perspective, you might think to yourself, and what I love about HG's point is she's thinking, if I can just, making this thing good enough should be enough. And the truth is, it's just, it's not going to be the case necessarily because, and we talk about, this is actually something we cover quite a bit in the customer conversations course we've been talking about, new course in fizzle that I just taught. This kind of idea of if you build it, they will come doesn't really work for products unless you're talking about a life or death product because if you're curing cancer, for example, there's, you know, there's no question people are going to adopt that product because they need the cure. That's just like a no brainer. However, when you're making something, when you're, especially when you're doing something a bit more creative, like most of us are, there's this need to understand what is missing in the market right now. So I'm just going to keep using this dog bed example because clearly it's on my mind, but think about the current dog beds that are available. You walk into PetSmart or Kohl's or something, and there's like this $20 dog bed that you probably can't fit in your washing machine. So it's like going to be dirty within a few months. Your dog might chew it up. It's just kind of like a piece of junk. It's not sentimental at all. So for someone like Evan, who's creating this dog bed product, it's about how can I take this to the next level? How can I create a product that an owner feels like is like a, a, a fixture in their home that, a, that they don't have to keep replacing, that they can wash the pillowcase, that they can feel like this is something that they're really investing in versus you know, having this problem of, of just cycling through these dog beds. So the, the point about, you know, in, inspecting the market is figuring out what is frustrating for customers about whatever exists right now. And how can you improve that in a way that flips it on its head and makes it interesting for consumers or tells a story for consumers. And that doesn't have to feel like crappy marketing that can feel exciting and inventive. So I don't know, there's just a, a difference there for me between those two. Yeah, that's a really big point. The idea that your marketing can actually, uh, I don't know, can be a part of of something bigger than just selling things. You know, that's what that's what is so exciting to me about it. You know, that the marketing isn't it, it, two things. Number one, we are all marketers. That's why we can start our businesses. It's not because like we're entrepreneurs, but mostly because we're marketers. We know how to reach people. Because the thing is, is like you can bake something great, but the hard problem is going to be getting the people to that thing most of the time. So now, 
And you have some people that are really good at getting people to the thing. They understand how to use all of the tools, social media, content marketing, advertisements, whatever, all of these things, but they don't really have something great to sell yet. You know what I mean? So you can be too strong on one or the other. What, it, what I hear in you say, saying, Steph, is, is that there's this balance where the virtue of the product actually infiltrates the marketing and makes it more like requires the marketing to be more than just a popularity sort of thing. Like it's high school in the quad and you're trying to fit in or get the cool kid to think that your shoes are cool or something like that. It goes from, from that kind of almost insecure sense of like, please like me, please like me, please like me to a very different confident has a spine and a backbone kind of putting this message out in the world because it's an important message that needs to get to get heard or because like it's something I believe in or because it's it's something that just matters to me in some important way. And you can always tell the difference between like a, hey, please buy our phone. Please buy our phone. Samsung. Please, it's a Samsung one. It's a, you can take it underwater. You can take it. Please buy our phone. Please buy it. Please. <laughs> you know what I mean? And something else that's just like, honestly, this thing's incredible. You know it. Let's get into it. Change your life, you know? Well, just to build on that, I think that's one of the keys here is you have to build a belief in your own thing enough that you think it's deserving of the story you're telling about it. You know, I think that's one of the biggest battles is you're going to, most people are going to be their own harshest critics. You know, there, there is like some subset of people who are willing and able to promote anything, uh, in the name of growing or making more money or whatever. Like most people aren't that most of our listeners aren't that most whatever entrepreneurs aren't going to be that version of that. And that's fine because the rest of you are actually the majority, the people who aren't naturally just going to go out and pound the pavement and sell, sell, sell. But You've got to cover the hurdle of, okay, do I actually believe this thing that I'm making, whether it's uh, you know a physical product or an information product or a service that you're offering, you've got to build belief that it's valuable. And you know we've been talking a ton about customer conversations lately, but I think that's one of the most powerful ways to build that belief is to get out of your own head and to get in conversation with the people who it's serving whatever the thing is, you know, the dog bed owners or the, the people who buy your jewelry and to understand what it means to them, because that helps you convince yourself that you should keep doing the work that you should keep making the products. But you've got to get over that hurdle that like this work I make is valuable enough for me to tell a story around it to other people. And I think that's what a lot of us are scared of is, well, I don't think this thing is actually that good. Like my taste and my capability are different. And my capability is what's going into this product. And I don't think it meets my own taste. And so I don't know that I want to put my neck out on the line for it. Mm -hmm. But the irony about that is the only way to get from here to there between what you're capable of today and the taste of tomorrow is you've got to be willing to promote enough to, to fund that future development. Cause you're not going to be able to get better if you end up having to quit and go find another job or go find another way to make money. Yeah. And I, I think um, to kind of play off that, it's easy as a maker to paint this picture that it's us against them. It's us, the creatives, against them, the marketers. Um, and to, to hide behind that in some way and to, have, and to delude yourself that the thing yeah. that you've made is better than it really is. Because if you're not sharing it with people, if you're not talking to people about it, if you're not putting it out there in a way mm -hmm. to see if people will actually buy it, uh, you're not getting honest feedback about this thing. And you can, you can 
in especially in art schools and and places where they just talk about it's really about the vision of the artist, yeah. not about the consumer at all. Mm. It's really easy for you to to um, to just live in this disconnect between what you've made and what people want to buy and to realize that if you're trying to create a business, if you want to actually sell something, the great equalizer in the world is will people buy this thing? Yeah. You know, and that really says something about the quality of it. And um, and you have to talk to people in order to, to bridge that gap. And I, I really like what Steph said about thinking of marketing not as pushing your thing, yeah. but as just trying to improve it through conversations with others. That's a big question. Okay, so hold on. Let's, step, let's stick on that for a second. Tell me more. What do you like about that? That idea of instead of thinking of marketing as pushing your thing, yeah. rather having conversations with people that help them sort of whatever. Well, or uh, just talking about your thing yeah. and, and the quality of it and what goes into making it and the story behind it. Yeah. Trying to explain what your thing is. Not, not being salesy like, buy this thing, but just telling people, hey, here's this thing and here's why it matters. And yeah. being excited about it on your own. Thinking about one example, um, a company that we've talked about uh, several times before called Saddleback Leather. <laughs> they make these, these rough leather bags that are uh, handmade in Mexico and their tagline is they'll fight over it when you're dead. Mm -hmm. They have this great background story. It's like a hundred year warranty. Yeah, it's, it's great. But one of the cool things they do is, for example, uh, they noticed that some people tried to knock off their bags mm -hmm. and they would get a hold of these knockoffs once in a while and they'd look at them and they'd go, oh, well, it's sort of a knockoff. It kind of looks like it, but yeah. why it's not gonna work because the stitching and the materials and so on. So they created this video just kind of showing like, Okay, if you want to knock off our bag, here's really how you would do it. And yeah. show like why the stitching was wrong and what kind of buckle you need to use. Yeah, yeah. why use top grain leather instead of the base stuff. And it's tongue-in-cheek, and you could literally probably use it, create a better knockoff bag. But really what they're doing is they're not selling their bag. They're not saying you should buy ours because it's better or whatever. They're just telling you, like, point blank, here's what goes into our bag. Yeah. Here's why it matters. And so they, they have that confidence behind the product and to describe it to people. So, you know, it might be that your thing is sort of good, but people don't understand why it's good. Maybe you intuitively as the artist understand why this piece of jewelry, yeah. this piece of pottery matters, but you're not doing a good job at articulating that. Mm -hmm. And in order to get to that point where you can articulate that, if you don't have that ability, that conversational ability yet, then those conversations come in handy with people because as you ask them questions about it or as you try to explain it and the customers give you feedback, they give you language back, you can start to use that to craft the, the conversation, the, the story behind it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating idea. The difference between, I think this is a really big point. Hey, uh, this is Chase out in Mexico doing a little beach walk, and I thought I'd do a little sponsor read for FreshBooks, Small Business Accounting. Hey, uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, what is it that you're that you're doing over there, hey? Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just recording a voice note as I go on this walk here. Oh, <laughs> you know, they, they call me Billy Beach Walk, and uh, for good reason. <laughs> I go on lots of these beach walks, hey? Oh, yeah? Uh, well, I'm just recording this little voice note, so I'll be done here in a second. Maybe we can... What are you, uh, what are you talking about there, huh? Well, I do, I have a podcast, and this is a, a sponsor, an ad read for a company called FreshBooks, which does small business accounting. You know, for a lot of small businesses, accounting can be sort of a hassle. Oh, you 
betcha. Hola. Yeah, I, uh, I run a, t a small sort of surf school down there in Tofino in uh, Canada. You know, I come down here for the winter because it's so damn cold up there. But uh, I, I know all about how, how painful accounting can be, man. Oh, jeez. Oh. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty bad. <laughs> What's the hardest part for you? Well, it's like, you know, you've got your like expenses. You got to uh, like, oh, I've got this pile of receipts over there and I got some folder back home and maybe I'll take a picture on my phone or something like that. But I don't know how to put it all together. No, I'm not a rocket scientist. Hey, I'm a surf teacher. Yeah, I can tell by the look of you. So one of the things that's great about FreshBooks actually is it helps you manage all of your expenses. So everything goes into one bucket and you can see everything in one screen oh that's pretty nice hey so but what if I'm like out and about that's what's always hard I don't know if I could buy this surfboard or that sort of barbecue without you know if I got the money in the banks or well that's what's so great about FreshBooks like you've got this mobile app with you everywhere you go you can see exactly where your business is at and you can even do a lot of your accounting from your phone oh wow, that sounds pretty nice hey what was the name of this thing yeah it's fresh books so like books that are fresh and actually for listeners of my podcast the fizzle show and of uh this advertisement right here which so i guess that, that counts for you there billy Beachwalk. is you can you can go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle and type in fizzle in the how did you hear about us box and you'll get a totally free month without even having to pay oh wow okay so freshbooks.com slash fizzle you got it man yeah good to good to meet you billy beachwalk no problem i'm out here every day man let's get back to the show then i think this is a really big point the difference between pushing in your like pushing your thing on people and sort of inviting conversation about uh, I think Barrett, you talked a lot about uh, about um, building belief in the product, and and for me, the the dream is always like there's this very like I'm always looking to get to this point in anything that I've ever marketed, and in anything that I've ever made or performed, you know, as a performer, like this is always the thing. Like I have to get it to a point where I believe in it, you know, anywhere I believe like this is this would this would convince me. You know what I mean? This would this would believe uh, this would make me a believer. You know what I mean? This would you know? Uh, my mama don't like you, and she likes everyone. You know that kind of thing. But <laughs> four Justin Bieber fans are really nodding along to that one. Um, <laughs> but but the idea of uh, of the of I don't know of uh, the difference between pushing our our thing on, marketing is marketing pushing your thing on other people. Because I guarantee you, you go and do a search for marketing, go look for look for content about marketing, go look to be trained in marketing. That is the mindset they're going to give you. They're going to give you, here's how you pull all these knobs and levers to reach more people. Here's how to make a pop-up as annoying as possible so that people will force will eventually click it. You know what I mean? Here's how to do all this stuff because the, the because I don't I don't I I need these results. Yeah. I need these results. What we're saying is this, this new version of marketing is really more of a product function. Mm. Version of marketing is really integrated with the product because mm -hmm. the marketing is a reflection of- That's it. That's what, I've been, that's what I've been missing in this. You are such a good maker of this dog bed that you realize you're doing a disservice to the dog bed by not getting the word out about it. You know what I mean? By not sharing with, a, not giving people a place to find out about it. But you're looking at getting the word out as a way to improve. Yeah, that, that, totally. So that fundamentally changes the posture of the creator. You know what I mean? When you go like, okay, I've got this thing. Now, how do I get people to buy it? Instead of that, going to 
I've got this thing. It's all, I mean, I put my heart and soul in it, or I, I've, I've thought about all the details. It really matters to me. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's a big step. The first, like, that's a big requirement. This really matters to me. Like, this product, not just me being a maker, making a thing, and please validate me as a, as a person, but, like, no, this is a, a, an integral part of my life now. And, and, and I see how much it matters, and I think it's ridiculous that more people don't live this way. So... Da, 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 da. But so so I'm curious though because we're we kind of headed down this path right away. Like marketing in whatever form we've been talking about it is crucial. And I guess the question that's left on the table for HG is: Can you literally make something and then just Instagram the thing mm -hmm. success? Yeah. Is there a, is there a way to do that? So the question is, let me restate this, is is can you just make something good and hope that they buy? Right. You know, with, with when you're saying Pinstagram, you're saying like uh, what, what HG says is like, maybe I'll, I'll Pinterest some things, I'll Instagram some things. Those are, to me, those are active marketing too. You know what I mean? It's just that she speaks fluent Instagram and Pinterest. That's the place that she lives. She knows how to put stuff together. Well, what, but the reason, the reason why I'm saying that is because it was very easy for her to go like, well, like, yeah, besides like a little Pinterest and a little, there are people who only build their business on Pinterest and Instagram. There are, but at the same time, you could be doing it completely wrong. You could be pinning things that nobody is looking at. Yeah. And the, the reason I think that's attractive is because you don't have to talk to anyone. You yeah. don't have to interact with anyone. Mm -hmm. Therefore, either you don't have to worry about the, the rejection of somebody not buying it, or you don't have to worry about the big issue, which might be that my thing is not very good. Yeah, yeah, because because you're you're a person who's sitting there going like, what am I going to do with my life, right? We, like all of us have been at some point yeah. or another, and we don't have any traction. Like we're like, I go into school, did this yeah. thing, and we come up on one idea right. that we're like, oh, dude, this is it, and we start doing it. We start the last thing we want to hear is 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 the truth. If that if the truth about that thing is no, this isn't gonna work. Cause we don't hear in that like, no, you still got it. Let's, the, what else we got? What else we got? Like you still, you still are, are you still are valuable. This is, this is a danger I think that's, that applies to all entrepreneurs, but I think it applies to the creative maker type a little bit more because they wrap up a lot of self identity in the product and they feel like a rejection of the product is a rejection of me. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place to be. And that's why we talk a lot about a business as a hypothesis. It's mm -hmm. not your baby, it's mm -hmm. not your legacy. You have a belief that this thing will be interesting or useful to people because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Your job now is to go prove that. Yeah. Steph, what were you going to say? I was just going to add, I think that the question is really interesting. And I guess my, my personal take on the answer would be, I don't think, I, I guess no. For me, it's no. I don't think you, even if you are able to Pinstagram your way to success. To me, it's like the what must be happening there is like somehow the story is coming through in the picture. And that can happen. That certainly has happened for certain brands out there where perhaps like the, the, the product, somehow the story of it, the differentiator, the whole thing we've been talking about is able to be contained in a photograph. But the story's still there. There's like, there's still marketing to that, whether you like it or not. I don't, I, you know, I, there's a, a brand that's coming to mind for me. There's this brand called Bucket Feet that I really like. It's a, it's, it's shoes, it's sneakers and they're very, very cool shoes. They have, um, very unique designs and you can look at the shoes like on Instagram and you might stop and say, Whoa, those shoes are really cool. They have gold pineapples on them and I don't know where else I could buy those shoes. But then when you read their slogan is something like art you can wear. And it turns out that every shoe is designed by an artist. So it's literally artists who are creating their art just to be wearable for this brand bucket feet. 
So it's interesting. It's like, there's such a story to that. You know, I want to be able to support artists. So I purchased the shoe and I wear the shoe and I also love it because it's unique and makes me stand out and whatever the whole other, you know, emotional piece that goes to that. However, so much of that marketing is contained in that Instagram post. I can look at that shoe and right away understand the story. And then when I learn that there's like an artist who's created this, some, you know, someone who's living in Guatemala has created this art for my feet, then that's like what pushes me over the top. So I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of an example of a product that I've seen on Instagram or Pinterest and immediately wanted to buy. I don't think I've ever felt that need without understanding the story behind it. So I think it still supports everything we've been talking about. So I have a question, Steph. I, I hear this term story a lot and I am guilt. I've used it a lot as well. So tell me more about what you mean when you're saying, uh, if it's working, then, then something of this story is coming out. What is that? What more? What else? What does that feel like? You, you were talking about it with the stu- shoes, and I got that as an example. But if you had to say, if you had to sort of like say am, ambiguously or whatever, abstractly, what was working on you in the shoe example? What would that story? What? What? what how do those stories work? I think a lot of times they tend to be emotional. I think a lot of times when we make purchases, they there's emotion, there's logic, but for for a lot of us, we t- we make a lot of purchases for emotional reasons. Yes, you can do research and you can justify your purchases with logic, but there tends to be an emotional reason for making that purchase, I think. So in the case of the shoes, it's like that's the story that I'm talking about is it's something that makes it different. It's something that makes me pause in my busy life and decide that I'm going to make a different choice. Like it's, it's a pattern interrupt. It's interrupting my normal pattern of going out to Nordstrom and browsing the shelves until I find a pair of shoes that I that goes good with my jeans. You know, it's when there's like enough of a, of a, a story. I can't even think of a different word to, to, to describe it, but like a, a differentiator, something compelling that makes me say, oh, this is really unique. This is different than what I'm used to. And I want to support this because, wow, I never even thought about that. I never thought that I could support an artist by choosing a pair of shoes that I, by the way, I think is a really cool pair of shoes. It mm. goes back to the dog bed too. When, when Evan was talking about, you know, you can put this pillow from your bed onto the dog bed so that the dog feels comforted by your pack scent. It's like, my mind is blown. Like I can't put, I can't put my dog's bed for, that I got from Kohl's. I guess I could put it in my bed so that, you know, my scent gets on there, but it's like all of a sudden this paradigm shift has changed. It's made me think about the product differently, or it's made me think about my needs differently. What are some examples of you Barrett for you Barrett that are of like companies or products, even even individual products where youth, where, where if you can think of them, where you kind of sensed this story or this compelling reason to buy or this reason, this reason that you had to want to contribute to this, are there, are there things that come to mind for you on that? Definitely. Um, and like, we're, yeah, so there's a million things I can talk about. I want to give a little like metaphor for what story is in terms of a product. In my mind, there's uh, in ocean fishing, there are these fishing lines called sabiki rigs. And on a sabiki rig, they're designed to catch bait fish. So like you would go just a little bit out into the water and catch bait fish so that you can go farther out into the water to catch big fish. And these sabiki rigs have like 10 hooks on them. So you can catch 10 fish at a time. And to me, what telling a story around a product is, is you're putting all these little hooks on one line. And so your story elements are the little hooks. So for one consumer, 
you want to give them the opportunity to tell themselves a story about the environmental sustainability of your product. For another consumer, you want to give them the ability to tell themselves a story about how comforting it is to their dog because they're going to smell your smell when you're gone during the day. To another consumer, you want to give them a story about saving money because you're not also buying a cushion over and over that your dog is going to tear up or whatever. And so the elements of your story are these little hooks that you can catch different fish on to me because different consumers are going to tell themselves different stories about why your product matters to them. So there's not one universal story that's going to work on everyone at any given time. So when I think of like individual examples for me, like I've got a story pulled up on my computer right now about this sock company called Zcano. I think is how you pronounce it. So Z-K-A-N-O. And, um, you know, I'm getting married next month. And so I've been looking for ways to embody my fiance and my values and the purchases we've made around the wedding. So, and that goes from like the socks I buy for what I'm going to wear that day to the food we're serving to all of that, which is so typical of me and people will make fun of me for it. Yeah, but, it is. It's so typical yeah, so of that's at least you. At least you have self-awareness. So I'll go ahead and give you the punchline <laughs> on that one. <laughs> but this, uh, this sock company uses uh, organic cotton, of course. They use natural dyes that are non-toxic. They're made in Alabama with local labor and they're fair trade certified. And so like you've got all of these elements that go into it that say, yeah, it's just a sock, but there's also millions of just socks being made that are polluting the water table and, you know, torturing their people who make them, not torturing, but, you know, giving them terrible working conditions and whatever. And so that's the, they give me elements of story that allow me to hook onto it because that's what I care about. But they're also good socks. You know, they're just quality socks. They have, they're like patterned, which is fashionable right now. There's all these other stories looped in there too. Another recent purchase I made was from a company called Lehman Luther in Atlanta. Um, I'm from Atlanta. So I knew about this company. I had interacted with their CEO, but he started it with a mission of employing and retraining formerly homeless men to become craftsmen and woodworkers. So all of their, uh, wood furniture, coffee tables, dining tables, farm tables, all that kind of thing is made by formerly homeless men who were not woodworkers at the time they were employed. And now they make these tables from reclaimed wood and ship them all over. And they do a lot of projects with, um, like the, the Atlanta Falcons football stadium is going to collaborate with them to put tables in some of their dining areas and stuff like that. Well, we bought one of their farm tables for our new house we're moving into because they're like, we could buy a farm table from a lot of places and a farm table would cost a similar amount at a lot of those places. And so like we could go down to West Elm and we could give them money or we could buy from this local company who's employing people who otherwise wouldn't have a job or a home or skills and support, you know, the company itself to continue to grow. And that's like special to me because it allows me to feel good about the money we're going to spend anyways. And the fact that it's also supporting other causes I care about. Yeah. What I like about that is that is a great example of something that is in the dog bed as well. These are things that are not essentials. That's not like a fire's burning underneath your bottom to go get a new table. You know what I mean? Or to, to, to get a dog bed. But once you hear the story of the table, you're like, well, my, I want, when I get a new table, I'm going to be remembering that. You know what I mean? Because I could, I could make my dollar be a little mean a little bit. You know what I mean? And I could live in a world in a little more connected way. And I think when I, when I see 
we're all we're all you know basically young white people telling the same stories that that you know get us all fired up about about the things that that we were talking about. I wish we had more diversity to add on, on the kinds of stories that really fire us up. But um, but I love these stories because they're they're all sort of progressive in the sense that that they're sort of old worldy. They're things that 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 are. Um, that are that are hitting the same kind of values. You know what I mean? It's interesting when Barrett was talking just now about two very common things, socks and tables. Both of those, he made a purchasing decision where there were many potential socks and tables on the market based on um, something that hooked him about it, that yeah. made them stand out. And it was differentiation, but it was differentiation that in a lot of ways was sort of bolted on yeah. because the product itself may not be all that much. There was literally nothing he said about the look of the farm table, about anything like that. And that's probably there too. But it, you know, for him, the, the button that it's pushing is, is very much like the Tom shoe sort of thing. Yeah. And um, it's, that's interesting. It really makes you take pause for someone like HG, again, that's making jewelry that anyone and their uncle can make um and i'm not saying that that hers isn't special in some way and yeah. maybe it is but just jewelry in general you know everyone can have a jewelry or business. pottery or like any kind of like simple made so not simple but whatever like like almost like crafted things yeah uh for those things it just makes it that much more important that it has some sort of reason you have to give people a reason to buy your thing versus yeah. the other things that exist out there mm. and a lot of people who make jewelry or whatever rely too much on this person knows me and that's why they bought me mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah instead of um getting beyond that to have this compelling reason for look at large to buy or that specific niche that you're yeah talking. and i think when some of the things we one of the things that we've said often in this conversation is this idea of marketing as a conversation or just getting outside of your own head, your own little network who already knows you and having actual conversations with real people who could potentially be customers of your thing. Well, we've we've just released this course within Fizzle that teaches you in about 35 minutes. Uh, the course is only about 35 minutes, but and you'll, you'll want to watch it twice because it's packed with great stuff and it's got a workbook that goes along with it that it teaches you exactly how to how to a find people to have these conversations with but more almost more importantly a lot of people are are worried like how am i going to i don't want to know how to find people you know what i mean so that's a, a real immediate like sort of like dang i don't want to do that and so that teaches you how to do that pretty simply but then number 2 it will change like you're already anybody's out there who's like uh oh, customer conversations no thanks man like i don't know i got why don't i just look at google analytics or like uh some google ads keyword research insights something or other instead right why don't i just look at big dots on a graph and 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 make decisions that way because it doesn't connect you to your like intuitor about people when you're talking when i talk to barrett right now you're doing uh some interviews with fizzlers you're hearing their stories from the ground up like about like where they were and where they are now and how fizzles contributed to that as well as like with this the steps that they've taken how has that would you say like and uh, how has that sort of like kind of influenced and changed the way that you look at fizzle this thing that we make as our you know dog bed with a human scented pillow uh has it changed and in what ways if it has the way that you look at our product the way that you understand the value of it the way that you share about what it does when you're talking to new people i think maybe more than than our product it's changed or reinforced my faith in the power of entrepreneurship 
for good, whether it's just for like the entrepreneur and her family or whether it's for like the community they're serving or whatever, it's reinforced my faith in that. Because when you operate in the space that we do, the space of teaching people to teach people to teach people about entrepreneurship, it's easy to get jaded by just like the whole arena of people that are doing that kind of thing. And we certainly try and differentiate ourselves on really investing in the customer's outcome. Not like we can't control it. We can't guarantee success, but we are invested in it. We're not just trying to get $2,000 today and say, see you later. We're really trying to help people succeed. And in hearing some of these stories, number one, we're hearing that we have helped people do that. It, there are real people who are making a living, supporting their family, living a better life than they were when they found us. And that's cool. But what's more important to me is the nature of the stories, the diversity of the stories. Um, in the stories that we're, I'm, I'm finding, like we sought out gender parity in them. Number one, it's not all white dudes, which I like. Uh, it's really important to me that we tell many more stories than just the typical like tech space, white, you know, 30 something male story. Um, I'm also finding that the diversity of topic is so much greater than just how to build an online business. Like we have none of those stories and that is mm. amazing to me. It restores everything that I believe about entrepreneurship because it shows that yes, there are going to be so many people who pick personal development or building an online business, but there's gonna be an equal number who are cho choosing diverse topics that range from like an online wine magazine to um, a monthly subscription box for science experiments for homeschooled kids. And hearing those stories shows me that the reason those don't come up as much is because there aren't a hundred thousand of them. There's, they're not popping up at the top of every online search about online business and email marketing and all that crap because they're out there doing an actual craft, serving an actual group of customers that has nothing to do with this online world. And that's been pretty special to me because it's really easy to lose those people in the noise of the internet. And that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, what it sounds like to me is it's sort of like upping your believability quotient in the thing that we do for a living. And you'd be surprised, even though we've got a good story to tell about our product, we believe in it, right? We know that people are going to change the way that they live when they learn how to earn a living independently from having a boss or anything like that. We know that if you watch our, uh, the video on our homepage, you'll see there's this moment where it shifts, the music changes, and Corbett goes, because my business, for me, it's my freedom. And he just sells it. He lands it. He brings it home. You know why? Because he doesn't have to put on, a, he doesn't have to try to pretend. It really is his freedom. You know what I mean? And it's, in, it's weird how and sometimes when you're reading a script for a video, you can kind of remember it. Like, dude, this is our freedom. And that's what we sell. That's what we help you achieve. And so we believe it, but you'd be amazed how in, in the slew of, of comments or lack of comments or customer support emails or you know Twitter responses or who knows what, cancellations and stat statistics. Just look at the statistics going like, oh, this week we didn't, we didn't get as many people signing up as this week last month. Oh, no. How in the mix of all of that stuff, you start to lose 
connection to this sort of like intuitive, humane, natural, creative, living source of your life. And when you can market from that connected place instead of from like the, we didn't get enough people signing up this week, you'd be amazed how simple the, the like really terrific, amazing copywriting, creative and things like that can just fall out. So I'm curious. Yeah. We have this course. It's amazing. If... Let's just say that somebody listening to this right now. Okay. Like hypothetically? Yeah, hypothetically. They were like, uh, okay, so there's this course. I want to talk to customers. I want to I want to experience this this fizzle thing that Barrett is so fired up about that has helped create all these businesses, mm. these interesting stories. Um, how would somebody even how would they even I know, right? It should be should be fairly <laughs> easy, but unfortunately it's like super That's tough. Such a cocktail Corbett question. <laughs> <laughs> it's super tough. No, it's not tough at all. In fact, we'll make it really easy for you right now. Steph, would you go ahead and log on to your computer and, and make some code so that we can give anybody who listens to the podcast, let's just give them, I don't know, what do you guys think? Uh, let's give them, you know, I feel like if, if somebody had like a month or, or maybe like five weeks. More than a month? You want to give more than a month? Yeah, if somebody had five weeks to try Fizzle. Okay. First of all, I mean, they could learn a ton in those five weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could at least get done like three courses at the minimum in that time if they, but like... They could clarify who their audience is. Yeah. They could talk to some of those customers. They could probably put together a really good one-page business plan. That could go through all the first stage of the nine-stage roadmap. Right. You know, or the first, first uh, phase even. Okay, got it. So you're thinking five weeks? Yeah. Okay, so let's do this. Let's have, let's, we're going to try Fizzle for five weeks or something. So Steph, go ahead and code up something that allows someone to get five weeks for free when they go to, what do you think, Corbin? What should the URL be? How about, uh, Steph, what do you think? Fizzle.co slash try five? I think you guys are being way too generous. You're, you're giving away the farm. Must be all the cocktails. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, screw it. Let's do it. You think we're being too generous? I don't even care. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Fizzle.co slash try five. Steph's going to code that up right now. Working on it. Are you working on it, Steph? I'm, I'm, I'm working on it right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fizzle.co fizzle slash try five is where you can go. We're going to set this up for this week for you. Uh, you can you can get five weeks for free as a pod, just for This is just happening on the podcast. Okay. Just for podcast listeners. You can get five weeks for free of Fizzle. You can try it out. You can see if we're doing a good job of A, telling our story and B, delivering on the promise because we work pretty damn hard on that. I would ask you that when you get in there, Definitely check out the customer conversations course, which I was talking about just before we decided to give you five weeks for free, even more than a month. That's crazy. Fizzle.co slash try five. Unbelievable. But um, fizzle.co slash try five. Fizzle.co slash try five. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book on subliminal messages. Fizzle.co slash try five. Uh, so... Um, uh, listen, you go in there and do the the customer conversations course. It, like I said, it's a 35-minute course. It's about, I think there's eight or nine videos in there. Lessons are, we break up all of our courses into bite-sized sort of chunks so you can come and do it at your own speed. It's going to give you so much insight on how you can set up to have these conversations to get actual insight. So for example, HG, I make this, I can talk to a previous customer and ask these this one question with a handful of powerful follow-up questions. That's going to help me like know how to tell the story of what, like even find the story. Half the times we make things, we don't even know what the story is. We just know that our hands can do this, so we do it. So anyways, we should stop there because we're going, we're going light. But uh, any, any last words, Steph? 
No, I mean, I, I think the last thing I'll say is it, it's kind of perfect that we're talking about our own product as I sit here and listen to Chase talk about it. It's not about, and just to go all the way back to HG's original question, it's not about trying to convince people and trying to like game it and to figure out how you're going to sell as many of these widgets as you possibly can. It's about creating stuff that you really think that people actually need and feeling excited to share it with the world. And once you can do that, I just, I think anybody can be a marketer and this belief that like, I'm not good enough to be a marketer doesn't have to be a thing. It's, it's just all about finding that story we've been talking about. So that's all, that's all I have to say about it. Barrett and last words. Uh, I'll just leave like anyone who's listening, who struggles with this with a question and that's what's the alternative. If you don't want to market, what's the alternative? And if that means getting a job or being okay with the way your life is now, just ask yourself, like, would I rather be a marketer or learn to market, I guess, is a better way to put that? Or would I rather face the alternative of not doing that? And I think where most people will land, if you want to build a business, if you want to have the freedom of owning a business, and more importantly, if you want to have this thing that all of these people that I've been interviewing have in common, which is generosity and a focus on their customers and a focus on the value they're providing. If you want that, then the marketing is just a tiny little obstacle that you have to get over. I have been Chase Wardman-Reeves. I've been Corbett Clark. I've been Baird Brooks. I have been Steph Crowder. And we will see you there, or we'll we'll see you on another time. (laughs) So there you have it. All right. That was a great conversation. Loved that one. You can find the show notes and the comments for this episode at fizzleshow.co slash 156. Okay, I've also put, I've embedded right into the post there, the video of that Saddleback Leather, how to rip off a Saddleback Leather bag video, which is awesome. A great example of marketing that just like, I don't know, it, it, it's fun, it's fresh, it's easy, it's light, it's truthful. It's all of the things that we were talking about in those kinds of storytelling marketing where you're actually sharing why your thing is great in a way that your customers are going to understand it. Please watch that, as well as uh, the links to, you know, Barrett's Sock Company and the and the Table Maker and stuff like that. That's all at fizzleshow.co slash 156. Here's an iTunes review from Lyrics22 in the United States of America, who says, I'm not one to write reviews, so trust me when I tell you that my five-star rating does not come lightly. The Fizzle Show is a refreshing, accessible, knowledge and personality-filled podcast that never fails to make me think, reflect, laugh, and grimace because it makes me face some harsh truths. Oh, what a great iTunes review. Thank you. Uh, your five-star review, Lyrics22, is not, is not received lightly. I'm honored. Thank you so much for leaving it. Now, you, dear listener, our goal here is to help you make progress on your business every single week. We publish an episode every single Friday. If you leave us an iTunes review, it can help other entrepreneurs to find the show. So could you leave one for us? Simply search for the show in iTunes and click write a review. May you have a roof for the rain and walls for the wind. And may you find something solid to put your foot on as you take the next step. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next. Fizzle Friday. <laughs>